Welcome to the Legends Match Show, everyone. I'm your host, Tom Wheeler, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today. He is a legendary USC Hall of Famer, professional wrestler, world record over 13 championships. He's an absolute legend. Welcome to the show, the beast himself, Dan Severn. Hello, sir. Hello there, Tom. How are we doing there today? Uh, it's a bit cold over here, but uh, I'm a little jealous of uh, your situation over there. <laughs> yes, I, I'll tell the fans right now. We're outside, short t-shirts, but that's only because of the luxury of being in Phoenix, Arizona this time of year. And I'll say it took me a while to figure this out. This would be my very first winter ever predetermined I shall spend it in Arizona. And it's been a very wise choice, especially with the cold and the snow that hit. Uh, the Midwestern states these last couple of days. Oh, man. Oh, man. Big time. Yeah, but you are originally from Coldwater, Michigan, right? Um, That's where I live. I have a home okay. there. I'm not from Coldwater, uh, Michigan, originally. And out of the people I grew up with, they're always mad. They're like saying, say Montrose, Michigan. Say Montrose, Michigan. Okay. Uh, I, but but it was always for, they want my mailing address. Where do I live now? I, I mean, I lived in Coldwater, Michigan at the time that I started my Professional wrestling career, by the time I started my cage fighting career, that's where I was residing at the time. But Montrose, Michigan is where I went to high school. It's where I went to – it's where I got all my amateur wrestling accolades. And then I went to college at Arizona State, and I lived in Arizona for basically a decade, five years oh, okay. as a student athlete, and then five years as a wrestling coach for uh, Bobby Douglas, Arizona State University, before taking a job at Michigan State. That's what brought me back to the state of Michigan. Oh. So – Okay. okay. In the words of the Lion King, Akuma Matata, the circle yeah. of life. <laughs> totally. And, and yeah, you, so yeah, you definitely started uh, uh, at a young age. We got to go back in the day here. Uh, what, what, what brought you to do that? What made you want to even get into wrestling? Well, I'll, I'll say in the beginning, it was just simply, I think, something to do. Um, okay. You know, I mean, like most young kids uh, that as you're coming up, you try different sports. Um, the the uh, also this was through the the physical education program. Now, the physical education program back then versus the physical physical education today, yeah. great a lot of things uh, left to be desired. And today, they try to pawn off as a physical education. Um, something you may not I, mean, I, I have a teaching degree from Arizona State University it's oh. as, an, as an industrial arts teacher so think of the answer like as your shop teacher you know woodworking metalworking, foundry auto automotives I mean growing up on a farm you had to have skill sets because none was ever really thrown away it was always repurposed is, is what, oh. what happened with it so um and I always have to say that I, I also have all of my appendages still where most of shop teachers will still be able to tell you, watch for that, that radio arm saw, you know, you know, you know yeah. <laughs> that's so. like, yeah. I feel like a horror film there. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Too. I mean, you, I mean, man, you did so much with wrestling even before you get into uh, where you're more uh, recently known for, but like two-time uh, NCAA Division One All-American, uh, World Cup 1986 Toledo goal. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, man, you you really excelled in the wrestling game. Well, it was in in the beginning. It was something simply to do in the beginning. Um, when I found it high school, that's when uh, I'll say that uh, 
setting of goals and taking and taking a little bit seriously because the reality was, you know, now that you're in high school, you, you hear all these upperclassmen, they're talking about getting ready to go to college and what colleges they're going to go to. And uh, then, but they also talk about the monetary aspects of, you know, what college costs. And uh, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, that college, college is, it's expensive to go to. And I kept thinking, there's no way it ever entered my mind to ask mom or dad for money to go to college because the reality is I have seven other brothers and sisters. I'm, sec I'm, I'm number two on the totem pole. So simply to ask mom and dad, no, no, I, that, that never entered my mind because they could not, uh, they could not have afforded it because of getting, having, having, you know, uh, seven other people to clothes, feed, and, and on and on. So, um, by my, I'll say by my sophomore year in high school, the first college recruiter basically approached both my older brother Dave, and and he, they, for some reason they thought we were twins. I, I actually I was just I was bigger. I was a little bit bigger than my my older brother. And he thought so. They thought that we might be twins, and uh, he actually found out that I was actually younger. He even made him that much more excited yet. But uh, interesting. I simply look at it as what I what I preach to a lot of kids nowadays. I, I'm doing more and more motivational speaking, and I, and what I talk about is trying to create opportunities or options for yourself. And because not not too many people they think that there's no, there's only one way to do things, but no, there's there are multiple ways of getting the end goal uh you just have to be a little bit creative so i'll just say that by my sophomore year in high school option number two came into the my first my first thoughts was you know i, I had a couple of teammates they were much older uh i mean they're older brothers to to my teammates okay. and what they what they did was on high school, upon high school graduation uh they went into the military got out of the military and then went to college on the gi bill so that was what i you know, I'd say, but my freshman, I was thinking, that's what I'm going to do. I'll go, you know, upon high school graduation, I'll go to the military, come on out, go to college on the GI Bill. So, but by my sophomore year in college, I've got option number two. And, and, and what, what I teach kids nowadays is options are a good thing because most of them are not very creative and they only think there's only one way to, to do things and, and it's not a very promising road that they have to go on. So. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. That's amazing takeaway uh, for you know people that watch and listen to this. Um, and and then, you know at some point it, it definitely uh, I like to bounce around a little bit too. It's a little more interesting for everybody involved. Uh, man, we had to talk I think, about this. I think, I think that's called ADD. <laughs> Somewhere in there. <laughs> hey, what's that? Okay. Anyways, uh, uh, man, like squirrel. <laughs> but let's talk about this. This is. Uh, huge huge impact on just the whole culture and that is ufc man what even made you get the idea like i want to because this was like this was not a career path at all uh when it came out at all what even made you think of hey i'm going to go compete was it the thrill of competition or tom it, it was it was uh I, I, how i don't know how much i could play it down i mean uh when i when i was First, give it any kind of thought. I mean, would you get? I have to take you back in time because I mean, this this little baby over here, the, the phone, it dates life in every aspect. Now, nowadays, yeah, 
but for your listeners and viewers, uh, back in the the nineteen ninety. Uh, I'll say 92, 93 time frame. And I first was learning about this because the very first show, USC show took place December 1993. And I've been involved with it since 1994 on. Pay-per-view pay was not as prevalent as it is today. Oh, today, yeah. you, can watch, you can watch a pay-per-view right off of the cell phone. Yeah. Pay-per-view back around that 1993, 94 time period, it sucked. Um, <laughs> wasn't on your. I wasn't on your cell phone. It would only reviews were only in larger metropolitan areas, like like in a state like Michigan. It would be down to maybe the Detroit metropolitan. It might be up in the Lansing area, but I, I'm living out in little Podunk, uh, Coldwater, yeah. Michigan area. So I had no awareness that this event took place. So a friend of mine, who had watched the first two UFCs. He copied it on an old VHS tape. What is that? It's, you know, stuff that has bygone. But he said, you ought to think about this. I'm seeing people, soccer kicked in the face. I'm seeing teeth that are oh, flying yeah. out. And I'm thinking, you know, these are not exactly the skill sets I possess. Yeah. But then he said, well, look at this skinny little guy doing jujitsu. Of course, he was with Hoist Gracie. You know, I, I had not really been uh, introduced to at that point in time. And I said, well, just another form of grappling to me. I thought, well, a yeah. guy's, uh, a man's got to be within arms distance to punch, legs range to kick, knee elbow, or whatever. I thought, I'll just stay out of range. And then as they throw things out, I'll, I'll simply move in, either take them down, clinch them, or jam them up against the cage wall. And literally, Tom, that was my entire preparation. That wow. prep. I think I could do it like this. That was it. <laughs> oh, man. That's wild. Well, of course, I mean, all the amazing training and skill, skill that went into it. But, uh, yeah, that, that mindset. No, no, no. I mean, the, the, you, the more questions you ask, you're going to find out more about my background. Um, yeah. I only uh, – if you look at my 20-year career, I only did two true training camps. Once for UFC number five, I took, I took out 32 days of my life. And I trained for UFC number five. Now, and for the ultimate ultimate, I felt 35 days of my life, and I trained for that. And I set and I set two different two different records at that point in time for UFC number five was again eight man tournament for 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 your your viewers there eight man tournament. So the same yeah. two hour pay per view that plays today, where you face one opponent. Back then, you had to face three and finish yeah. off three, and the chances of of surviving all three without damage, without hurting your hand, without yeah. taking cuts, uh, broken noses, lacerations. Uh, well, I, I mean, point blank, I'm the only the only triple crown champion in the UFC's no holes barred, which was known as NHB no holes barred. It only yeah. you only had the two rules: no biting, no eye gouging. That was it, and but they worked. They weren't even grounds for disqualification. They might simply just fine you financially. You might lose some oh. money. And that, <laughs> oh, wow. that was it. So, it, again, that was a whole different oh, yeah. time era. It wasn't until the early 2000s, say around 2000, I'll say four, five, or six, somewhere right in there, where it went from being NB to MMA, 
mixed martial arts. Okay, you want to really transition over. I, yeah. I mean, I, and I, I really do appreciate the, the mix of everything. Everybody's so well-rounded now, but I still miss that heyday of just like, it was like style versus style. There's some more poetic about that. It, it is, and, and literally, if you were just getting change rules, once again, you'll have, the athletes will have to differently because all they're doing right now is, it, it's a nice, it's a nice civilized competition now. Whereas yeah. back was a combination of a freak show, yeah. a, a a very a very barbaric kind of a freak show because you could have a four hundred plus pound man versus a hundred and fifty pound man back then, and that there was the, the biggest weight difference during that time era was just over four hundred pounds. Wow, my goodness, that's insane. Um, Definitely uh, good for TV, though. <laughs> um, well, it, it was it was it, it was really good, and actually, the, the person who uh, who actually won that match was uh, Keith Hackney. That's a Keith Hackney. Yes. Kempel yes. Kai. Yep. And that was uh, in the uh, victorious, taking out Manny Yarbrough. He hit Manny Yarbrough in the head. Manny Yarbrough down on all four and continued hitting his right hand so many times, like I'll say seventy or more unanswered times before Big John stopped it. Keith Hackney wins, but he cannot continue on because he broke his hand in a couple oh, wow. spots because he just, you know, he's, he's hitting a big old hand, yeah. you know, not a, padded, uh, not a padded hand whatsoever. So, again, something that, uh, you know, a lot of the, the viewers, listeners, they will only know if they look in the archives of what No Whole Bard once was. Yeah. Interest, so interesting, yeah, because this is uh, totally different now. And you got like uh, one of, if not the first, uh, two in a row suplexes. This was devastating, and especially that second one, his head shaking, he definitely rung his bell. Uh, was that just uh, something you've, you've always trained, or is that part of a, any no, game No, that, uh, that is um, uh, that picture right there. The gentleman was Yes. Uh, ironically, Anthony and I have become friends at that time, and uh, uh, Anthony did actually has a uh, has a amateur wrestling background. He has a son that is avidly uh, uh, been an amateur wrestler, and um, I even asked Anthony to send me a couple of uh, his son's videotapes, and I would critique him and give the pointers on some of the things that he should be doing for correcting it. Because I always tell people when it comes to amateur wrestling. I know my stuff, and uh, I, yeah, I, yeah. Guarantee, I, I guarantee results. So, um, you know, Anthony, and I, to me, it's like, you know, I, I, I tell people I've actually made friendships out of this. Now, granted, we meet that way. We met, we first met as editors, but afterwards we got the chance to know each other and, and you know, moves on. That's, a, that's amazing. I, I love hearing that too, because, yeah, you do, you know, befriend people at, at as you go through your career. Well, for you, when you go out, you know, went into the UFC, your first fight, what was that feeling for you? Like walking into the cage, uh, is it, did it feel like past competition, so to speak, or was well, it? Well, again, I didn't quite finish. Okay. The question you asked me about yeah. intimacy is when, when I did these, uh, belly to back. Yeah. In, in the amateur world, they're known as belly to back suplex. That they're known in amateur wrestling. Um, not folk style. Cause, uh, when I, when I refer to amateur wrestling folk style, the United States is the only country that does folk style. What we do in our junior highs, our high school, or on a collegiate level, we're the only country that does that. The rest of the world does either freestyle wrestling and or Greco-Roman wrestling. Oh. 
freestyle wrestling is somewhat similar to our folk style in the, in the sense that they'll attack single leg, double legs. You're allowed to do leg sweeps. You're allowed to attack the legs. But in Greco-Roman wrestling, it's strictly from the waist up. So you can't touch okay. the legs whatsoever. So in Greco-Roman wrestling, you see a lot more of these big throws. You'll see big body locks, bear hugs, headlocks, uh, belly-to-back suplexes, uh, suplexes like, like I just I did there as well. So um, even though the phrase mixed martial artist didn't come about till that 2004, 5, 6 time, time frame, if you go back in time, I was out already a mixed martial artist by my freshman year in high school because I went from being a, a folk-style wrestler to a freestyle wrestler by my sophomore year at Greco-Roman wrestling. Then as my freshman year in college, um, I took uh, a judo class. Then I jumped it to yeah. sambo. So, I mean, I, I, I was just doing things to enhance my 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 amateur wrestling ability because it just I, I was thinking outside the box and just adding more skill sets. But then they all came, again, full circle to where, you know, jump into this career being a cage fighter and uh, being involved in submission grappling matches and uh, – yeah. All other types of things that, uh, again, I, I still, still to this day on now, I do a lot of traveling and I do a lot of instructional type of things, uh, teaching amateur wrestling, still my first love, but then also doing stuff with submission grappling, gi, non-gi type applications, but then mixed martial arts, professional wrestling. But I work with law enforcement, corrections, air martial, border patrol, and military ever since the beginning of the ultimate fighting championships first responders have found the that there is a value to ground combatives because very rarely do yeah. very rarely do any kind of physical altercations stay under they, they quickly end up down on the ground and, and if you look at even the ufc what it was like back then and even still to this day 99.9 percent of all the matches will end up on the mat, and they're going to finish one of three ways. Ground and pound is number one, uh, a knuckle number two, and then arm bar number three. I go, if you don't believe me, Sippy, just look at the stats. The stats don't win. And yeah. so as a wrestling coach, I simply do have a look at the stats. What are teams noted for? Are they good here? Are they good? So that's how you try to prepare your game plans for your opponents back then. So – same way as you would prepare for your opponents today, whether that be a submission match or an MMA match. Wow, amazing. I don't know if this is too high-tech for some of the, the, the viewers there oh, to I realize that, that yeah. uh, a Neanderthal barbie that walks out there simply just doing yeah, <laughs> bludgeon something right there. I systematic. I'm using my brain, and actually Big John McCarthy said to me on, on several occasions that uh, he goes, Dan Severs intelligent competitors ever because I don't even call myself a fighter. I've never been in a fight my life, but I've been a competitor my entire life. It's a whole different animal. Wow, that's amazing. And and I do want to point out, um, and, you know, some people that may not know, you were the first guy to officially at the same time compete in UFC and in professional wrestling, uh, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, uh, probably – I don't know, 20 some years before Brock Lesnar ever came about uh, that I was, uh, my, and again, my first profession 
as of the 1992 Olympics was professional wrestling. And then I got into the, the cage fighting world after that. So people thought it was just the opposite because they saw me from the UFC and then working WWF, now known as WWE. But and, and yeah. that was that was the proper transition that I did go from the UFC to the WWF. But the reality is I was already doing professional wrestling since 92. I had been approached somewhere in the mid-80s to turn pro for professional wrestling. But at that time, had I turned pro, I would have lost my amateur wrestling status. I, I could no longer... I could no longer represent the United States for World Cup teams and world teams and, and ultimately wanting to make that Olympic team. So I, I turned it down then. And But when it hit 92 and a new rule came out, that's when you saw in the Olympic Games the dream team of the basketball team. When, when we actually had our uh, uh, NBA basketball players are now being able to represent the United States as well. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So that is such a rich background to it. And, and I guess natural progression as well, being, you know, the wrestling base and you kept uh, in, increasing uh, your cross training, so to speak. And, uh, and so in, in your wrestling kind of run, man, talk about a run. I mean, you have some amazing performances, nasty holds, fought with some other legends. There's Dwayne Johnson himself. Uh, and was there's one in particular, I'm going to show a quick little video that's 10 seconds. But man, I, can you just walk me through this? Because just watching this, I even showed my, my oldest daughter this, and she was like, oh my goodness. And here we go. A gut wrench upside down. Uh oh, oh my God. Severin's head exposed. Beautiful. Severin just got dropped right on his head from the that pile driver. Uh oh. Severin not moving. Well, I mean, the, the sad thing to say about this one is Owen Hart screwed up. Oh, and, okay. and, and and they did not do the move correct. And I actually I did land on top of my head. Oh, yeah. I, I, so so I had a bolt of a lightning that ran down my spine oh. and my leg. And actually I laid there for a moment as I laid there. Now again, this was of this was part of the script. Yeah. Um but not getting not not getting hurt for because professional wrestling, you gotta look at what is professional wrestling. Professional wrestling you're an actor or an actress, and right. you're basically you're, you're a stunt person. Lots of professional yeah. wrestlers make great actors and actresses, and, and they they can they're all, they're already stunt people because they know how to fall and how to fall and protect themselves in the process. It has changed over the years uh, a great deal in different styles that appeal to, to people, but Steve Austin. A.K. Yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh yes, called me up. Um, I'll say a little over somewhere this past year, all during the, the the coronavirus aspect. He called me up out of the blue. I don't know how he got my cell phone, but he, he called me yeah. up. Out of the way. At first, I thought it was someone just pulling a rib. I thought it was just one of my buddies trying to pull a rib, but but it was him. And uh, he says he, he's like, "Well, brother," he says, "I you know I I, I know I haven't." Uh, we, we didn't get a chance to talk when we worked with the WWE at the time. He said, but somebody showed me a videotape recently, and, and it was that tape, that, that video you right there they just now showed. He said, somebody showed me this videotape here just recently, and he goes, he goes, Owen Hart screwed up. He did that. He's not supposed to drop to his butt. He's supposed to be on his knees to allow you more space. 
and they go and but that's the exact same thing that happened to Stone Cold Steve Austin that caused Stone Cold Steve Austin to have neck surgery, wow. and also what ended up ending his career. And so, it literally, he he tells me all this, and his brother goes, "I got Ashka, are you okay?" Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I, go, <laughs> I had that kind of laugh for a moment. I go, "You mean mentally or physically?" <laughs> <laughs> Two different things. <laughs> yeah. Some people might think I'm, I'm I've lost a few marbles over the years, but this kind of like, oh, I, I think I think I'm fully intact there still. But it's uh no, it, I'll say that I, I was really angry with Owen because he did screw up with me, yeah. and um, yeah, I'll just say that at the time because of my age and all the training I had been doing I had a pretty thick neck on me I had a big set of traps on me also at that time that I was the storm but time will but time will tell I, I, I right. say it like only because not not just from that one video clip there but the reality is Muhammad Ali left the boxing ring fully intact as well but it wasn't until it wasn't until years later that the accumulation of all of these body shots, head shots with these gloves, yeah, that that many many doctors said probably led to his Parkinson's and you know things of that nature. And, and there's also a boxers, uh, boxers, kickboxers, and and now because sport of mixed martial arts has been around for so long, you're starting to see even some of these athletes that are having Parkinson's and or dementia issues. So yeah. again, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that uh, yeah. I, I, I'm okay. At least I, I'm over now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, man, yeah, it's so wild. And there's so, you know, you even see here uh, with fighters, football players, more and more that, that longevity. It can, no, it can wear no, more, no more football alone. No more helmet to helmet. Uh, exactly type of uh, tackles that are to take place. So it just lots of sports have been, been affected. There's even amateur wrestling affected by because there's certain techniques like that, <coughs> excuse me, like that back suit play. You got to watch how you do that because uh, you could, you could hurt somebody really bad with it. Yeah. Real bad. Yeah. I, it's so wild. And um, I kind of was talking a little earlier about this to bounce back uh, to some of your UFC uh, amazing competitions you've done. Like, you the first time you compete in UFC, what was that even like for you? Just walking in the ring, would that feel like how you normally would any other competition, or, or more electrifying for you? What, what was the, your thoughts and feelings when you walk in that, that cage? Well, well, well Tom, uh, let me set the stage here just a little bit for you. I did not tell a single family member. Oh, oh man. Okay. I was I was already a professional wrestler at that point, so I simply just told my family that uh, well, I'm I'm going to go off and wrestle this coming weekend. So I'll say it's kind of like that that uh, white lie type of uh, yeah. statement there. Based on my skills, really, that's all I was going to do because, you know, I, I didn't really prepare for this event whatsoever. I simply just showed up at uh, <laughs> UFC number number four, um, and I had uh, Al, Al Snow uh, was my in my corner. So uh, Al Snow, professional wrestler, uh, trainer Al Snow, uh, I actually spent uh, – five days, an hour and a half a day over in Lima, Ohio at his Body Slammers professional because it was the only place I could find that actually had a, could find there a professional wrestling ring. And it was 
uh, Al Snow and two other professional wrestler wannabes, trainees, that uh, and one old, one old pair of boxing gloves. They would wear the boxing gloves and they would uh, take me on and try to punch and kick, do whatever submissions that they could do. And basically, I just kept trying to stay out of range and I would close the distance uh, into taking them down or uh, grabbing them and, and throwing them down in whatever amateur okay. technique, headlocks, body locks, whatever. And then once I had them down on the ground, I was good at smothering them so that they could not, again, throw any kind of strikes. And then uh, putting on amateur wrestling moves, but because amateur wrestling is the principles of leverage. Leverage also equals pain because when it yeah. comes to amateur wrestling, you're not going to be a rollover and let me pin you just because of coochie, coochie, coo. And particularly, no, <laughs> yeah. le leverage, le leverage equals pain, legalized pain. Legalized pain. I, I love the way that's worded, yeah. Yeah. But I, but at the same token, this is now for no holds so I can simply take the same interesting move and turn it illegal and get the same results. So that literally, that was my training camp. Five days, an hour and a half a day, and wow. half the time, these guys were arguing with each other's gloves at each other. Like, your turn. They're like, no, I don't want to go. It's your turn to throw the gloves at each other and swear at each other. It was actually, if anyone shot each I think most people would would be laughing because it was almost like slapstick comedy. Well, yeah. I mean, Al, a great guy, was a corner guy, and just a just a good human being, you know, be to be around. That's so interesting. Uh, going in there, doing your thing, and you you had a, an amazing run too. I mean, I want to put that. This is an amazing. This is like a record by itself. Uh, you have over 127 fights, 101 wins, 19 losses, 17 draw, or seven draws. I mean, that is, man, that is a run. And, and you went all the way up till, I think, your last fight, you were like 54. Uh, man, what what just kept you going I, I on actually, that? I, I think the, uh, my last one was at 58 years of age. Wow, man. That's amazing. Yeah, so I, and and even, even then, I was I was scheduled for one more after that because uh, I, I, I basically – I'm, I'm going to retire at, at this time. I basically sent a mass email to all the various – promoters and promotions I had in my database. I simply said, I'm planning to return at such a timeline, and, uh, but I would seriously, I would seriously consider coming back out of retirement uh, for one of three people. And right down the line, it was like, if I could have a Mark Coleman, Ken Shamrock, Hoist Gracie, that they were my last three matches oh, in a row. Because um, as, as you kind of stated out, I don't have all that many uh, losses uh, to my credentials. But uh, if you see uh, some of the people I've just mentioned right now, that uh, yeah. they've uh, they've had some, um, I'll say they had some challenges between testing positive uh, okay. for sub <laughs> okay. substances in their careers. Um, yeah. I'm trying to be as, I'm trying to find it right now, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm I, I pride myself in the fact that. I'm lifetime chemical free, and because uh, I do, I do a lot of things with uh, high school, junior high kids, and yeah. And but then also even on a collegiate level, and 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 I let them know that you can do this on Terrell. Um, yeah, because, yeah. Because there is a price. There is a price you're going to pay for doing some of these substances. My one of my careers being involved in professional wrestling is a career where. There's a great deal of substance substance abuse that takes place, and it's sad that each year 
they well they being the internet will come up with a list of wrestlers that have passed on yet again this past yeah. year and yeah. uh, I, I, I've been kind of been track of of both professional wrestling uh, people that wrestle who have passed on and also MMA people that have passed on and I think to date I think I've outlived either five or six of my MMA uh, opponents and uh, it's well over 30 of my professional wrestling partners and none of none of them are as old as me so that that alone speaks volumes and uh, it's not because none of these are due to to causes i mean the, the youngest one yeah. was a, a gentleman by the name of chris candido i think he passed away at age 27 because i think of a a, a blood clot or uh, an infection that he ended up getting uh, through an injury so and, and he was he was a the young man that i ended up winning the NWA title belt off of to start uh, my reign with the, N the NBA or a professional organization. Wow. That's so wild. It, it's so unfortunate. And, and yeah, I mean, you hear people just, it's still prevalent, you know, it's crazy that it's still that predominant. Yeah, though it's, well, just, just in, in the last year plus, we do look at it um, again, you look at, uh, when it comes to again, uh, I, I just refer to MMA and NHB as just a cage world. I refer to it as as that. Paul Varlins was uh, he passed away? I think uh, some what three months, two and a half, three months ago. Paul Varlins as the uh, the basket polar bear. Now they're standing at on that six seven height, wow. uh, three hundred plus pounds. He was. Uh, it was recently the, the the Alaska polar bear just because of just sheer size. Now I I, I faced Paul. Got to know Paul then afterward um, when he was relocating from Alaska down to Atlanta. Then it was, uh, maybe another eight months or uh, a year later that uh, you know he passed away. So even at that time he was starting to have some health issues because he did have. He is I gouged to where later, uh, later in life, it basically I think he lost sight in his eye altogether. He was starting to wear an eye patch. Yeah, yeah it takes its toll either way. And, and uh, you actually had a, a, a crazy, uh, interesting run, not just in the UFC with Ken Shamrock. Uh, here's a, a beautiful after photo, uh, but, <laughs> but but also uh, in in the the ring, professional wrestling. What was it like well, working with? Ken in more than one way than one there. I'll say that there there, there were uh, there were some good opportunities that were not capitalized on by the uh, WWF. You know, at, at that time, you know, Ken and I had basically had already done um, two different MMA matches against each other, where each of us had a victory over each other. So, you know, there, there was uh, there was the perfect marketing for for the rubber match, and that could have easily have played out in. Uh, the wacky world of professional wrestling, but it just never really materialized. You know, Ken and I basically, I'll just say he had different storylines that he had. We were involved in a couple of different matches, but it might be involved in a tag team match. Uh, uh, Owen Hart was uh, involved in some of those matches. Um, uh, Steve Blackman, he was also another professional. So there were times there's a referee at the Lions Den match, but then I was a referee at the uh, uh, the dungeon match, uh, that place actually, the, the Owen Hart president, that was actually a cool thing to be while the camera crew 
was down in uh, the bed of the uh, the heart rates. You know, they're 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 uh, and then they're setting up their cameras just to see how they could shoot uh, the various shots and stuff like that. And yeah, like, we'll say two and a half, three hours. I was just just upstairs in the living room, sitting down with Stu Hart, and he was just reading story after story and, and uh, asking questions. And some people must have told him a little bit about background because he was asking me about uh, being a shooter and my shooter background and because that's I mean, oh, that uh, Stu had a, a great deal of respect for guys that had le legitimate backgrounds and, and he even promoted that amongst his own his own sons wow really yeah so so, so much uh yeah so much rich history and, and experience for you like uh we had uh hoist hoist gracie out for a seminar uh, a couple years ago and um, I was basically his uki, and uh, he had me do basically like a body a body hug on him. And I'm a pretty spelt guy, and I just it just kept going in and in and in. Uh, he says he says the same height and weight as when he fought. What for you? What it felt like? What did it feel like fighting with him? And what I wanted to really ask off of that as well is, there's a moment you looked over at Elio, his his father, and you you just yeah. knew. Can you go into that? Because that's a very interesting uh, uh, thought process there. Well, again, just to set set the the stage here correctly, I mean, USC four was my first event ever. Um, my training camp was those five days, hour and a half a day, at Al Snow's place. I did not learn any striking techniques. I did not learn any submission techniques. When I showed up to the UFC. They basically had uh, a couple gals that were filling out the forms there for you, and uh, they were basically just asking, you know, you, you know, what is your height? Where do you, where do you hail from? Uh, what is your, and uh, th then the question they're asked you is like, uh, uh, what is your martial art? I had never been asked that question before. What, what is your martial art? So I just pause for a second there, and I go, I'm, I'm an American wrestler, and. The scale had never heard that response before. She kind of like looks left and right, and then she kind of leans in. She goes, uh, what exactly does that do? And so I kind of like mimic her. I, I kind of look left and right, and I lean down in. I go, you might want to watch. I'm kind of making this up as I go. Yeah. And she, she actually she starts to giggle like I'm telling her I'm telling a joke. And I go, no, I literally am making this up as I go because, I, I, as I said earlier, I have never been – in a fight, a, a real fight in my life. You know, like I said, scrap on my yeah. growing up, that just suddenly arrived. You're not, you're not in a real fight there. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, that was, I said, going into this, it was, uh, I was winging it, making it as, as <laughs> so again, just uh, setting that stage, you know, now being in, in the final match, final match of, of the tournament with Hoyce, I mean, basically I took him down, um, I'm inside his guard, but, you know, am, am I threatened by it? No. Um, and a few things I, I was able to do to Al Snow and the other couple professional yeah. protégés um, weren't exactly working on hoist. And I kept thinking, I kept thinking to myself, I think I might have to hit him. But, okay. uh, see, now, a lot of your listeners aren't gonna aren't gonna understand this, because at that point in time in my career, I had an amateur wrestler for twenty six years, twenty six years of rules and regulations, 
instilled into me that you're not allowed to punch, you're not allowed to grab clothing, you're not allowed to do so many things, you're not allowed to do. So. Uh, it, it, it's like I always tell people that I was a little bit more torn between my conscience than I ever was with an opponent. And when I decided that uh, I come at to hit him, I'm thinking, how, how do I make this nice? And okay, I'll, I'll I'll just thump him. I'll just thump upside the head. So I'm just like boom, something on, on, on the side of the head. Okay. Okay. So I'm just doing like a little little thumping. It don't look like it really phased him much. So I think I may have to thump him a little. So I'll thump him more here a little bit more. It didn't really phase him much. And then little somewhere to the courses match. I don't know why it was that I don't know if, that, if I saw here they looking at me, if I felt eyes on me, but I basically I looked over and saw him. And I'm looking at him as our eyes kind of locked with each other. I'm thinking to myself, you'd let me kill you out here, wouldn't you? For a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Wow. I go, but nobody knows that N7 is out here. No one, because again, as I told you before, I did yeah. not tell. I did not tell a single family member. They they found out after the fact, uh, and actually, the, the how they found out is uh, now the quick side, another side story. Yeah, I have I have two uncles that happen to be watching UFC. Uh, uh, my my uncles basically call over to my parents, home. and my oh. father who never answered the phone happens to answer the phone that night. And my uncle, like my my dad, my name was Marvin, and my my, uh, my uncle's like Marv. Do you know where your boys? First off, my dad's gonna say which one because I got four brothers, yeah. and my my dad's like boys well, down in water, and uh, my uncle's like no, he's about to climb in this cage and he's doing this cage fighting type of thing. You, okay. my dad's like what the hell, you know? And That's so after so after each match, my uncles are calling back. They're like. He won. He's okay. Okay, he lost, but he's still okay. Now, and the funny part of all this, as I get home, I have a message to call your father. So as I call my I call my father, he starts pitching me out for making <laughs> making him nervous. So it just goes to show you, it don't matter how big and bad you are. You either are daddy's little boy or still mama's little boy, no matter how Think of bad you might think you are. You're still someone's someone's child out there. So <laughs> that's uh, well, understandably so. I mean, uh, man, that's so wild. Yeah, it, and it was more no holes barred back in the day. Um, you know, they did like you said. There's only two rules, and even those are kind of like you know they wrap you on the handle a little bit or something. Yeah. Uh, man, it's so so wild. And you, yeah, you went on a very long run of that. But you at the same time, how did you juggle that? I, between rest, professor wrestling and MMA, how did you juggle that? Uh, it's okay. called a called a planner. <laughs> I, I mean, and again, as as I've been working here today, I'm still doing this juggling act. Uh, even yeah. now, um, it's it, it hasn't been easy. There there be certain times that I I could be on the road. 20 some odd days out of a 30 day month. Right. But each day when I when I wake up as I'm rubbing the sleep out of my eye, as I'm looking looking around, sometimes I'm thinking, okay, first off, where am I at? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just I'm just waking up in another hotel room, so I'm, I'm like, where am I at? And <laughs> what what is my function today or tonight? So I I would have to look at 
what I always just yeah. call, you always refer to my planner as my portable brain. Right. <laughs> and I, yeah. I would simply look it up to see, okay, what is on the agenda today? Am I, am I a professional wrestler? Am I, uh, am I teaching an amateur wrestling clinic? Am I working with law enforcement? Am I working with kids? Am I working with adults? So, or am I, am I climbing into a cage? And literally there would be sometimes that I would do uh, a couple cage uh, fights a month on top of throwing in two, three professional wrestling matches and then still be teaching kids this and adults that and, uh, and, and do it all in the same, and do some of the same things all within a 24 cycle, 24 hour cycle of each other. It's a big juggling act overall. I, I mean, you even yeah. also got to be in, you know, TV shows, movies, right? Nash Bridges, uh, yeah. you were credited in Rudy. Um, well, that was actually a great, a great movie to be a part, a part of, but then also I was able to get a few other professional wrestlers like El Snow. I got him and uh, a couple of other trainees that were involved. And the, uh, the Hollywood people really love working with us because we should be know, knew how to make things look good without actually having to crash, bang, and boom into each other. Because there was a lot of, uh, when they were looking for football players, they couldn't use current NCAA players because they had NCAA rules. So they were looking for, for guys that were former uh, collegiate uh, football players or might be in a you know semi-pro type of uh, organization. And uh, I had actually had done uh, both things. So... Uh, I uh, basically a, a buddy of mine who was working at college, and when they were, were looking for people, he simply referred me to them, and uh, I got in. They, they were just looking for guys that, by the time they put on shoulder pads and helmet, they just look like big goony football players. So yeah, <laughs> that's the time, big goony football player. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's the description, uh, and, and you know, a phenomenal movie as well. Uh, oh, even it was. It wasn't until it wasn't until several years after the fact. Did I ever get a chance to finally see it? Wow, so really? it, I actually had, they gave us all the people that were involved in the filming process. We all had tickets to go to the premiere, but it's kind of like going, well, I can either go watch a movie or I could go off and make make some money going off and doing this professional as a master, doing another cage yeah. fighter. I went, off and, I went off and made money. I, I was providing for my family at the time, so. It's so amazing because some people, some people just, you know, focus on one career their whole lifespan. And you've had multiple uh, careers and, and, and continuing. I, I, I love this as well. Uh, first and only uh, Hall of Famer here for uh, Joe Tregos and Luthies. Uh, you know, what does that feel like being the Hall of Famer even in there as well? well the interesting part about being in, about that, that Hall of Fame, that, that Hall of Fame is attached to a couple of different Hall of Fames. There's the, uh, it's part of the Stillwater, Oklahoma, USA Wrestling Hall of Fame. Then they also have a wing attached to it as the, uh, again, the, the Luthes George Treos uh, Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. And then there's also yet another wing that goes into, like, uh, for the state of Iowa. And um, they've inducted me. They have inducted me um, three times into this same Hall of Fame. I mean, twice uh, in, in the category of professional wrestling, once in the category of amateur wrestling. And uh, if I stick around for a few more yeah. years, I think, I think they'll bring me back yet again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> man, so it's so amazing. It's, uh, well, again, it, it, but it's, part of it is because of the duration of time. I mean, to have 
Okay. Yeah. Started, started my amateur wrestling career basically uh, in, in like 1969 when I was back in, in seventh grade, uh, the 69 70 season. I mean, you, you got to look at it that uh, I've competed in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now we're in the 2020 forward. Uh, people are like, is he done? Um, maybe, maybe not. I mean, there's, isn't there a master's division out there somewhere that uh, I oh, can jump man. into? Isn't there a senior division I get to jump into at I, 60 years of age? I've been talking about that for the longest time. Man, they got to bring the, the original guys back. I would watch that all day long. Um, I, I think they even had, well, in Bellator, they had um, uh, Hoist and Ken. I had a, a third uh, about together. Yeah, but, but yeah, uh, I, I would love to let see. Me, let me interrupt you on that one note there because originally I did come out of retirement because that was my, my last training I, I did, or I, I uh, that would have been my third legitimate training because I did one for thirty-two days. I told you, thirty-five days. Um, a, an organization did approach me uh, about a match with uh, Ken. And they basically said that he, they, you know, they am under contract and that. Um, I'm trying to think of what was the name of the company that uh, that, that it was, but it, it never it never materialized. I'll say that uh, I literally took out the longest time yet. I, I think I think I was in a, I was in a camp for two and a half months. I mean, you think about before. I did, I did 32 days. I did 35 days. Yeah. I did just fine. And the rest of the time, I was flying by the seat of my pants. Now yeah, I, yeah. I d d deliberately went into a, for a, a couple. I mean, my my cardiovascular was off the hook. Um, I I literally had people that were they were almost more and more. They were telling other people about it, but they didn't know who I was. They didn't know what I was there. They just saw that. That, that I had people there. I was going through, through specialized specialization, but I had I let my the color of my hair I let it go all natural, which means white. So, and I did not shave during this whole time, this November December clash there as well. So, like Santa Claus, okay, um, <laughs> but uh, kind of a scary Santa Claus because there, I, I they even come. Even had a couple made the comment like, "Oh, I, I, I better not be on the naughty list there. This, this Santa Claus looks pretty tough." <laughs> so, <laughs> you don't want that, man. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it was it was great. You know, to make a long story short, then uh, Ken basically struck deal uh, with uh, Bellator uh, for oh. this. For, for again, for, okay, okay, Ken and uh, Hoist they did their match, correct? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, but he, I actually even had to make make bring this to this company that I was dealing with. Like going, I go. Do you realize that Ken and Hoyt are going to be doing a match one week before the slated date that we have scheduled that we have had scheduled for almost four months now. Wow. Yeah, and yeah. contact and again. Ken, this is what the, the company said. He says, Ken said, no problem. Move your show. But I'm thinking, you agreed to a, an event how far back? 
I put into my calendar, my portable wow. brain, uh, way back when, that this was going to be happening. That now you're telling, trying to tell this company, move it back by one week. And, and literally, he says it like this. Again, this way that the uh, the, the the president of this company says, he goes, tell, uh, he goes, tell Dan, he goes, I'll fight Hoist Gracie one weekend, and I'll fight Dan Severn the following weekend. And does Dan Severn have a problem with that? And when when the the, the and when the president told me that, I go, no, Dan Severn doesn't have a problem with that whatsoever. But you, the president of this company might have a problem with that because if Ken so much as gets a hangnail, a little boo-boo, there's going to be a minimum of a 30-day suspension. Minimum. Minimum. Yeah, yeah. And I go, what's that that going to do for that one week later? So it it ended up being uh, pushed back. I go, give it at least 30 days plus a couple more days. So give it about a yeah. Give it thirty. Give it thirty-five days. Give, give it a five-week, six-week type of march. So they basically they 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 were trying to set the, the the new date. As this show is getting closer to uh, the Bellator match, getting closer to take place, yeah. I reached out to Scott Coker. Yeah. I reached out to Scott, and then I'm like, "Boy, Scott, I go, uh, uh, how bring me on board as a show guest commentator?" Oh, I go. Have interest. I mean, I, I have a past experience with both of these guys. Can yeah. you make sense? And he's like, kind of do it right there. I'm thinking, wow, okay. Um, I go, okay, let, let me let me try to sweeten the pot here for you, there, Scott. I go, how about if you be announced that Dan Seven is to take the winner between oh, these two afterwards? And again, he poop went on. Well, I don't know about these legends. Uh, if, if they're going to really, really amount to anything, and I'm thinking, wow. I go, so really? the, the final the final offer I made to him was, I go, yeah, I'll tell you what there, Scott. I might be crazy for even saying this, but I go, here's my final offer to you. I'll fight them both in this night. I'll do one at the very beginning. I'll open the show with one. I'll finish the show with the other one. I go, but I don't want either one to know who's going to go first until the night of the show. And when you're doing your, when you're having your, whoever it is that's going to be opening the show, guests, you know, hosting, welcome to Bells or stuff like that, bring them both out to the cage, flip that coin and find out who goes first, because I feel sorry. Because yeah. I was, I'll, I'll take out. If that was going to be the last chance people are going to ever see Dan Severn, they're going to see the best Dan Severn that they can come up. With. And I and I go, and I said, I'll, I'll give you a two for one special. <laughs> and, oh, and, yeah. and he, Tom, he turned that one down. Really? Who yeah. wouldn't want to watch that? Are you kidding me? I, you know, I again, I just, I tried to be creative. It just, uh, it didn't happen. So I mean, I, I did finally retire from mixed martial arts. It's yeah. uh, it, it even kind of hurts me to say that because it's kind of like going, well, yeah, right. but, what if, but what if there's a master's division? What if there's a, you know, yeah, what, you know, so Everybody it's kinda, that. I, I think that there's some marketability. The sad part is a lot of those matches would never live up to the hype because they're just people that have, you know, they've got, they've moved on. Um, their training has changed. Um, and also just 
Father time slowly erodeth away skill sets. I always tell people, they, they say, they're like, Dan Severin, back in your prime, you could have. No, no, I go, you guys never saw Dan Severin in his prime. Dan Severin in his prime was from 1984 to 1986. Yeah. I, I, ruled, I, ruled, I ruled the world. So before anyone ever saw me in the martial arts or cage fighting world, uh, they, they saw Dan Severin residue. I do want to bring up, uh, uh, you have probably one of the most iconic stashes in the business. Uh, <laughs> well, some people do get me confused with Don Fry a great deal now. Okay. Well, we got a battle of stashes going on here, which, I mean, you you train with him quite a bit, right, Don Fry? Well, 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 see, Don was one of my wrestlers when I was coaching at Arizona State University, so he was one of my athletes. But I knew Don on a much more personal basis because Don also lived with a couple of my younger uh, brothers. Uh, oh. a, bra a bragging point that I'll put out here is that I have – Four other brothers. So there, there were five, five males in the Severn family that went to college on full athletic scholarships for the sport of wrestling. And I have three sisters that basically went to college on almost full academic scholarships. So I always try to tell people, I'm a, I'm a jock with a brain. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it it made its way through uh excellent i mean that's a major part of fighting is is the you know the skills techniques but the mindset and and uh yeah you know, you, I, yeah i always say that there's a, there's a well again don, don has been involved in one of, one of the most uh well, I mean, it's the most viewed watch match ever. When when you look at his match between Takayama versus Don Fry and Pride, where it's the number one most viewed cage combative oh. uh, form ever. I mean, ever. You, you just run out there and they're throwing punches to the point right. that they've got a collar tie and they're just punching the crap out of each other. It's like going, yeah. Uh, Anyone that watches that, they're like going, they're like, oh, they can't, yeah. Yeah, they get going for sure. That was, man, that, that was an insane match. Um, how how is Don doing? Don, I mean, I I speak to I try to speak to Don almost on a daily basis right now because we're we're doing a couple projects together and awesome. um, and uh, yeah, I'd say before that, yeah, I, I would just only reaching out to him here or there because his his life was off to the races in one direction. My life has always been crazy off in the yeah. other direction. So during the uh, you know the, the only credit I ever take is I just say that I helped Don. I, get his stuff. Don Fry is the one who kicked that door wide open for himself because it was him that climbed into him. He did his various training camps uh, elsewhere. I, were, I really was no part of his training camp. So it was him and his uh, his boneheaded demeanor because <laughs> he, he is uh, he's stubborn like a mule and I knew he would do very well in uh, in an athletic contest like this. I, I, I saw Don uh uh, involved in certain type of matches, very similar to this, much younger in his career. Man, that's that's amazing. Man, you you've really done it all, and you got so much more in the tank. Um, you, you know, whether it's uh, you know UC Hall of Famer, NWA Hall of Fame uh, for the rest, you know, professional wrestling side acting, so on and so forth. Sounds like there's more potentiality for uh, oh. fingers crossed for uh, cage fights. Um, Man, what does what your plan future look like for yourself here? What, what kind of plans uh, are, that you could talk about? Well, I mean, the things I mean, I, I look at that. I, I still will stay active as much as I possibly can in, in a lot of different fields. So it's, uh, you know, just as you said, like an acting aspect. I, I've kind of tried to make that uh, something I'm trying to pursue a little bit oh. more. 
And yeah. um, I, I really, in, in the last, um, I'll say in the last 30 days, I, I've actually actively started pursuing some of the contacts that I have inside of uh, my database. And I have um, on the books right now, three three movies that are coming up within, yes. within um, I'll say by, I think by June, I think all, all of them will, will have been shot between that now and June. June. So that's where I always say that when, when, when I finally uh, make myself set a, set a goal for myself, I actively pursue it. Cause there's a lot of people, again, when I talk about like it's, it's trying to inspire people, yeah. simply pull, pulling out a piece of paper and writing down a goal. That's only one aspect of it. That's, I, I refer to that. I refer to that as more like wishful thinking. Uh, anyone can pull out a piece of paper and do that, but you need to start putting some steps in there to how is it going to get done. So it's like today yeah. is like you know today like any day. I spend a lot of time on the phone, making phone contacts, sending text messages, but then emails that I'm responding to. And, and I, I've helped other uh, athletes, uh, a lot of other the other wrestlers and other guys that, that will ask for help. I helped them, like Mark Coleman. I, I've helped Mark Coleman a great yeah. deal of, of uh, you know, how to simply start responding to people on Facebook. I mean, if, if someone puts uh, a, a nice uh, picture of you or, or says a nice comment, I go, just jump on their market to say, hey, he thinks they're time for all the nice type of things that you said there. And and, and, and by the way, um, I do this, this, and this so that, I mean, literally by, by post some of that, other people will read it and like, wow, yeah. I did not realize that uh, Mark does this or Don does that and dance ever does this. So it's kind of like, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to help a lot of the, the, the older guys that, uh, don't may not know have some of these skill sets set into their place. Yeah. And I'll, I will credit, I will credit professional wrestling for teaching me that because professional wrestling is big about marketing. It's good about taking yeah. literally nothing and you can blow it up to the biggest thing in the world. It's it's all about self promotion type of marketing. And anyone going into business or anyone that wanted to pursue professional wrestling, or I should say want to pursue mixed martial arts or a submission grappling, they should take one or two semesters of professional wrestling because it will it will teach you it will teach you volumes. It really will. Probably well, most probably teach you most of the things what not to do, but <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know those as well. Another thing I would love people to check out uh, is your book, uh, The Realest Guy in the Room. The Life and Times of Dan Severn, yeah. um, you know, definitely, you know, you got a bunch of amazing, amazing stories and really kind of getting your head on that because, uh, man, you just, what a life you've lived and and yeah. keep bringing, you keep bringing the heat, the beast. Yeah. But book, book number two is it works right now because I'll say oh. book number one was okay, but it's kind of like book number two, um, it's it'll be it's gonna be a lot bolder of a book. It's kind of like um, I plan on grabbing people by the esophagus here a little bit and just shaking around a little bit to re make you realize who I really am in what marks I have I have made. It, it will be a lot yeah. bolder. It'll be you know it'll just start saying you know that like you know. Uh, started a cage fighting career, you know, uh, 37 years of age, going for 20 years, uh, find someone else who can make those claims, uh, winning these many, uh, I mean, 
national, you know, I mean, point blank, I, I've got over 100 state, national, and or international titles and or records to my credit. Yeah. There's not anyone that's even close to me when you look at how many different uh, records and or titles that I have had, but that's spanning over six, like I said, six decades of competition. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, otherwise people have a hard time even, you know, searching that out and they have it all in one spot because there's so much more went into it. Like you said, they didn't see the the Dan Severn in his prime. Yeah, no, again, that, but then those are things I like. But then we can talk about more things about, you know, I didn't just do this by myself. I, I had seven other brothers and sisters. I had uh, two parents that uh, they were part of uh, my influencers. I had some great coaches that were all part of my influencers. That, I mean, they're, they're like good fathers uh, to you. So it's, uh, yeah, I've got some good stories to pay uh, to to tell. And, and the whole aspect is there is I'm trying to make a, a positive imprint to give people especially younger people, to give them um, some, hopefully to wake, wake them up a little bit to, to say that you can do you can do things too. It doesn't have to go into a cage row. It doesn't have to go into professional things, but you can do it in other things in your own professional yeah. life, of, of goals, stuff like that, that you want to pursue. But, you know, just like we kind of opened up in the beginning, learn how to create opportunities for yourself, options and opportunities. You're not destined to just do something. Everybody... Everybody has to get the J-O-B at some point in their life. And when, when you get that, usually those first couple of J-O-Bs, it comes with a B-O-S-S that yeah. you don't really care for. You yeah. tend to hate your B-O-S-S, thus you hate your J-O-B. And what do most people do? All they do is complain about it. Yes, so yes. a lot of times when I talk to uh, uh, high schoolers, college people, I go, what do I have in my hands? And like, well, you have a cell phone. What other functions does it do? Well, you could text you do this. I go, I go, you ultimately I have the world at my fingertips. Truly. So that we all need to get a job, get that job, get that money coming in, and keep working now. I can take online classes. Yes, I can better myself. I can get a degree. And then I always tell people, don't just go in there and give, give your boss the finger and, and, and run on out and, and you know, go in, do it proper. Go in, give you two weeks notice, finish out your two weeks and move on because you just never know when you may need those type of people to give you some type of a reference. If you went in and you yeah. did your job and you – you can, everyone's going to complain about your job, but you know, try to keep it at least a little bit underneath your breath. But, uh, you know, just move <laughs> along and, and be positive as best you possibly can. I always say that, that you can always pick up a heavy bag and thump on that, put your boss's yeah. picture on it if you want, you know. <laughs> take <laughs> take it out of a little bit. Uh, yeah. I wanted to ask too, I know people are going to ask me this. I'm sure it's somewhere online, but I love hearing it from your mouth yourself is uh, how'd you get the, the, the nickname, The Beast? Uh, that actually came, was given to me by the legendary NFL uh, Hall of Famer, uh, Jim Brown. He was, uh, yeah, for, for the NFL, um, Jim Brown, he was uh, one of the play-by-play -play commentators for several of the UFC events. Because, they, again, they were trying to identify with tough people and having tough commentators because you even had uh, – uh, Bill Wallace, uh, Sugarfoot, uh, uh, Bill Wallace, uh, you know, yeah, kickboxing legend, and you had Kathy Long, another kickboxers. I mean, they they had a lot of people. Jeff Blatnick was one of the play-by-play -play 
uh, commentators or, or a commissioner even at one point in time. He was the gentleman that uh, helped uh, get the, the phrase coined mixed martial artists. And they actually, Jeff was actually a friend of mine uh, from uh, the, the freestyle amateur wrestling days. So Jim Brown, in, in his words, he uh, he simply said, you know, uh, Danny goes, when I first met you, I didn't think that much about you because you, well, first off, we didn't need to be one of the fighters. When I first, oh, uh, when I was first on the scene at, at, at uh, one of the events that, that Jim Brown was uh, was there, they did not have a weigh-in. So the, the Friday night uh, event was to be known as the Friday night press conference. There, there weren't going to step on the scales. It didn't matter. I mean, there, there were no weight classes. Uh, so at, at the press conference, they'd have the, the, the mediator that would be there. And uh, and then basically they'll say, contestant number one, uh, please stand up. And, and this is uh, Hoist Gracie. He stands this tall. He weighs roughly this much. And his background is uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And, uh, you know, basically they'll, they'll tell you a little information about you then then. Uh, uh, you'll sit down, sit down, and then a contestant number two, Ken Shamrock, stands up, and again, he'll go through height, weight, some of the background. So uh, Jim Bradley, you were the only guy that showed up to the press conference wearing a sports jacket, a tie, and I was wearing my glasses. And uh, he goes, they, everyone thought I was somebody's agent and not a competitor. And uh, in, in Jim Brown's words, he said, he said, he says, he says, I could tell you're an intelligent person. He said, but he says, I said, I, I just feel sorry for this guy. That he's going to, you know, this, this guy's going to get his proverbial ass handed to him when he steps into this octagon cage. He goes, but watching you climb up into that cage was kind of like watching uh, Clark Kent uh, morph oh. into Superman. Yeah. Says, uh, he says, uh, he said, I've never seen anyone transition like that or, or was able to turn it on like that and I'm like he goes how do you do that and I'm thinking Jim Brown is asking me a question like this yeah. it, you know, it made, me, made me feel good because I, mean, I watched Jim Brown was, uh, in, in junior high and high school he was one of the, uh, the most if not the most punishing running back in oh. the history of the game he didn't run around people he ran over people and yeah, had he, uh, he just made just another year who no human being would have ever caught his record it, it took as it was, it took, I think, a couple of running backs, seven, eight, nine years of playing time just to catch it. So yeah. he, he was a very imposing type of, of person. And But the, the thing is, it's kind of ironic when, when, when we're getting to know each other back then. I, I started to tell Jim, I go, I said, you and I wish we met once before, but it was during the filming of the movie Rudy. He was actually one of the football coordinators that's there on, on location. But once again, he'll never remember me because I was just a goony football extra yeah, right. at that time. So, wow. but the but the, the ring name. What I'll say in closing: the ring name, the beast, has a lot of negative connotations. Anyone that really knows Dan Seven knows I uh, I'm not a negative person whatsoever. I'm, I'm a very positive thinking type of individual. Yeah. I had to come I had to come up with an acronym that I felt uh, I could live with. And the T-H-E stands for Dan Sever. I'm a teacher, humanitarian, and I'm an educator. And my message to young people is beast. To believe in yourself, to educate yourself, to adjust your everyday attitude, to study hard, and then to teach others because you can't take it with you. So I try to take something negative and turn it to positive. So the ring name, the beast, that's what it represents to me. I sometimes just should be show some of the uh, ugliness of the 
videos to capture out of folks' attention. And once I have the attention, I'll simply not too shabby for a yeah. guy who's never been in a fight. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love that, man. If and when we finally get the green light that uh, you can do something you will enjoy, not, the way I teach and, and the simple concepts that is very easy for people to learn and to apply, of which a lot of them, most people have never seen before. You know, like I said, about that Conor McGregor and that shoulder popping, you know, that was only was less than a yeah. year ago that that took place. And I've been teaching that for almost three decades. Wow. Man. And they, they didn't, and they still didn't show how, show how to do jaw jack. And that was just punch you with the shoulder. And then again, understanding the rules. The rules, well, for example, the rule says I cannot punch you in the throat with my fist. Shoulder fits that nicely. But again, it just depends how tall or short is your opponent as yeah. to what you're to do with them. If they're shorter than you, it's kind of tough to pop them, you know, in the side, but you might be able to slide in, bang them in the chest, and then, then jaw jam yeah. to where they, it's like uh, you're being whiplashed of what you could do to their, their neck and stuff like that. But again, these are all just little mental distractions to make you the disruption to where your mind longer thinking about. Competition is no longer thinking about offensive. I'm putting you in a defensive mode to where I shocked you for this element of pain, stuff like that, to where now yeah. you're wondering, you wonder where did it come? I need to prevent it. So you're thinking more in a defensive aspect and you're not, and, and you're, so you're trying to defend yourself and you're not launching an offense. So there, there's a lot of difference wow. in the mental mind state of where you're at and what you're trying to do for competition. I do the same thing for amateur wrestling, submission grappling. Anything else? Application. But then I always look at, when you look at that, I still have ears that still look good. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, lots of submission grapple guys, jujitsu guys, they almost all have collar ears because of, it's a little yeah. bit rough. I tend to, I, I still pull out the old headgear, slap them up because if I'm going to do rolling, I throw in the headgear because it's just, I don't want I don't want to look like that later in life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm contemplating actually having braces, but I'm then not to start straightening some of my teeth now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they, they probably take a little more brunt of the force uh, in that case. Whereas <laughs> <laughs> um, some wrestlers call it, you know, the cauliflower ear is a chick magnet, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, well, a, a lot of foreign countries, they look at it as an honor, a badge of honor, because this is my sport. My sport oh. gives me this. I mean, yeah. especially when it comes to being in a lot of the old uh, Eastern Bloc countries, uh, yes. you know, uh, they, they, that's, that's strong that they they just stand there very proudly that they, they that got these years because they learned it in competition battle. So these are part of their their their, ba their battle scars. You even see some guys from that way um, intentionally uh, not earn it through the mat work, but they'll like take glass bottle, glass bottle, and, like and wrap their ear and trying to get it that way and. Like, what are you guys yeah. doing? Apparently, that's a big yeah. deal. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think that's a very good cosmetic look. But now now that women have been involved in mixed martial yeah. arts as long as they have been, and, again, more aggressively with the submit grappling, um, you're start, I, I'm starting to see the first of the female clientele have cauliflower ears, and that's not a good look. <laughs> that's not, it doesn't work out. You can't, you can't wear uh, earbuds uh, very yeah, well. You, yeah. You can. I don't care how many earrings you put in an earring. It kind of looks like a pregnant ear with yeah. earrings in it. Yeah. 
Now, uh, you know, just kind of last question for you. Like I, another thing I found fascinating, because I had a bunch of guys on the show at this point that do have a, a professional wrestling background uh, uh, and also, you know, other styles of wrestling as well. And how much uh, there's so, it seems like, especially with, whether you go Greco Roman, freestyle, catch wrestling, all these different styles of wrestling, it seems like it really lends itself perfectly to real world application, mm-hmm. you know, on the battlefield application and also entertainment. Uh, you know, how much do you see, uh, you know, the future of, of wrestling in, in the States at least? I'm talking about just professional wrestling right now? Yes. Well, again, I think you're going to see a lot more athletes that are going to be crossing over. I think um, you're going to see a lot of former MMA guys and or submission grappler guys realize that I can only stay competitive for so many years. I can extend my career now by jumping into professional wrestling. So I still have – I can still wear my gi or I can wear my submission grappling trunks from – my era of time doing there so that 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 they take a, a carry over but now it's being applied in the professional wrestling arena now when you look at like professional wrestling right now can you name me one professional wrestler that wears a gi to the ring oh yeah yeah i mean but okay think again as we're just talking right now i can't think of anyone right now but that could be that you know there's a character you could actually have some guy that wears the gi, Easily. and and he's got the, the he's got the the martial arts black belt or red belt around his waist. He yeah. can have he can have created his own style of whatever. He just puts it on, puts That's some amazing. kind of a, a strange thing. So literally, and mark mark my words, the fact that we're talking about this right now, yeah, some somewhere in the very very near future, you're going to have exactly that. You're going to have somebody listening. They go, that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Man, Dan, thank you so much for being on the show. It was amazing talking with you. Uh, Dan, I'm going to put this up here for everybody. Uh, you guys can follow Dan online. He's got a website, Instagram, all social media. Check out his IMDb page for his movies. Uh, he's got coming up as well. Uh, Dan, is there anything you want me to add to that list right there? No, okay. actually, yeah. There are certain things out there I didn't know I had. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing better than what I am doing, Tom. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you all enjoyed the show. For more great interviews and content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Legends and Master Show. Also, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Be sure to go to our website, www.legendsandmastershow.com, and join our email list for all upcoming shows, events, and articles. See you on the next one.